0: What up, Get Up Nation? My name is Ben Biddick, the host of the Get Up Nation podcast and co author of Get Up, The Art of Perseverance, with former Major League Baseball player and CEO of Lurong Living, Adam Greenberg. Recently, I spoke with renowned resilience expert Linda Graham. Linda became a licensed marriage and family therapist in 1995, specializing in helping people reverse the impact of stress and trauma, manage anxiety, depression, loneliness, and shame, and shift out of reactivity, contraction, and smallifying into openness, trust, and conscious, compassionate connection. She has spent her life and career guiding people on reliable paths of personal growth and self-transformation. Her first book was called Bouncing Back, Rewiring Your Brain for Maximum Resilience and Well-Being. It integrated modern neuroscience and Western relational psychology with Eastern contemplative practices to help readers shift out of old patterns of response to life events to more flexible adaptive coping strategies that lead to more authentic resilience and well-being. Since the release of her first book, Linda has trained thousands of clinicians and clients in clinical trainings and personal growth workshops through online courses and in meditation centers in the United States, Canada, Australia, Europe, and the Middle East. Linda's second book, which we discuss on this episode of the Get Nation podcast, is called Resilience. It leads readers through an evidence-based trajectory of tools that spans somatic, emotional, relational, and reflective intelligences to face and cope with any adversity, recover personal strengths and resilience, and move into a compassionate and courageous new life. It is my honor to welcome Linda Graham to the Up Nation podcast
1: really glad to be doing this. I'm very impressed with the work that you're doing.
0: So this is a good connection. It's my honor to have you here, Linda, and I'm so glad you've taken time to speak with me about your new book called Resilience. It's been impressive to read the book and learn more about you and your work. When readers open the book, they see amazing people providing testimonials for what you've created here, including James Beres, Sylvia Borstein, David Rico, Tara Brock, Elisha Goldstein, and the list goes on. Why have you dedicated your life to helping people develop resilience?
1: Well, resilience is so foundational to our well-being. It's so foundational to navigating life at all. It's something that human beings are called upon to do pretty much every moment of the day, certainly in many, many difficult, tragic moments of their lives. So it's so essential to the human enterprise. As a psychotherapist for 25 years, I help my clients recover their resilience, recover their capacities to cope with whatever challenges, crises, disasters that they're coping with in their lives. Because the capacities are innate. They're built into our being because they're built into our brain. We all have the capacities to be resilient, but we need to learn from other people. We need to learn from experience the tools that we can use to actually strengthen our brain, strengthen the capacities to be resilient. So the book, that you're mentioning, resilience, has 130 exercises in it to help people recover those capacities to shift gears, to respond more flexibly, adaptively to whatever they're facing, whatever level of disruption to their resilience they're facing. Because we learn, we learn to be resilient through experience. The brain learns everything through experience. So by trying to offer tools in an organized program where people can Find the experiences that will actually be most relevant to them in recovering their resilience. They'll be able to move again into thriving and well-being. So that's that's a deep joy to be a, and a privilege to be a guide in the process that people go through to recover their resilience.
0: Amazing. You describe resilience as the capacity to bend with the wind, go with the flow, bounce back from adversity. You mentioned how it's essential to the survival of human beings, but not only that, resilience is essential for the thriving of human societies. Why is resilience essential for human beings to thrive?
1: So, we cannot do enough to protect ourselves from harm difficulty, trouble, tragedy happening along the way. That's part of the human condition. But human beings are also hardwired by our evolutionary biology to do more than survive that. We come together in groups. We resonate with each other as human beings. We support each other as human beings. We're capable of love and compassion and meaning and purpose and awe. So Resilience is really essential to helping us develop and manifest all of our capacities as human beings. That includes persevering. It includes overcoming suffering and tragedy, but it also includes learning, growth, change, transformation. So the book is designed to take people through that entire trajectory from the most difficult of challenges to cope with through stability, recovery, flexibility, and on into the learning and growth that that is really part of post-traumatic growth. The book is designed to take people through that entire trajectory.
0: In the introduction of your book, it reads, Occasionally we are called on to deal with greater troubles and adversities, not just hiccups, but earthquakes that overwhelm our capacities to cope, at least temporarily. They include troubles like infertility, or infidelity, a diagnosis of cancer, losing a job several years out from retirement, a daughter arrested for selling pot, or a son wounded in combat overseas. When these bigger bumps happen, we have to dig deeper into our inner reserves of resilience and our memories of times when we've successfully coped before, while also drawing on external resources such as family and friends. Here too, finding our way back to our center, our inner equilibrium and ability to cope can be more difficult If we are told we are or perceive ourselves as less than capable, less than skillful, less than good enough or unworthy of help. Will you go into some of the barriers to resilience that people commonly experience?
1: So what you just read in that last few sentences is the territory of shame of feeling not good enough, feeling less than, feeling inadequate, feeling a failure, a loser, unlovable. And I think that is the biggest emotional derailer of our resilience because it causes us to collapse and withdraw and hide out. And We know that we're wired to rev up and take action in the face of danger, and we try to channel that in good ways. But when we're in shame, we are more likely to collapse and numb out, so we're immobilized, we're paralyzed, we're not taking action. And I see that as the biggest derailer of our resilience. And so many of the tools in the book are designed to help people address that sense of shame or address the inner critic that keeps pounding on them to create that sense of shame and come back into self-awareness, self-acceptance, self-appreciation, really the best protections we have against stress and trauma. So I really work on the relational intelligence within ourselves to be able to be aware, acknowledge, accept, tolerate, work with, All of ourselves, even the parts of ourselves that we don't like so very much or that we might be ashamed of, because we really need the energy of our whole self to be resilient. So, as a psychotherapist, I know how important it is that people really come to that sense of self appreciation and self love in order to be resilient. So, yes, I do focus on
0: that. You also write one of the behavioral outcomes of a mature, well-functioning prefrontal cortex in the brain is the ability to be resilient. Will you share some of what science tells us about our brain's ability to develop qualities like resilience?
1: Well, there are many, many, many ways I could answer that question. I'm going to take just one angle on it, and that is science now is demonstrating the power of cultivating positive emotions as a way of shifting the functioning of the brain out of contraction, out of reactivity, out of the negativity bias, out of that shutdown, into more openness again, more receptivity, the bigger picture, more optimism, so that they're finding, this is both neuroscience and behavioral sciences combined, they're finding that the direct, measurable cause and effect outcome of practicing gratitude, kindness, compassion, joy, awe, delight, serenity, all of these positive emotions, the direct outcome is resilience. So that when we can be with other people and share a moment of gratitude or kindness or compassion, the engagement with other people helps support our resilience, but so does even feeling those positive emotions. And we know even in the midst of trauma and tragedy, it's essential hmm. to be able to find moments of the positive as a respite from all of the grief, as a respite, a refuge from all of the overwhelm. So that's just one way. The the most important thing that we're learning, of course, is that the brain is plastic. The brain can change and grow lifelong. And once we know that, we not only have some choices, but we kind of have a responsibility to learn how to work with the neuroplasticity of the brain to be able to send its functioning in a good direction, a more resilient direction. So that's what I'm trying to encourage people to do with the book is to experiment with some of the tools and see how it actually shifts functioning; It shifts their behavior because once people learn that they can create those kind of changes, they're more likely to be convinced that they can. They can claim themselves as being a learner
0: of resilience. It's so exciting to hear you speak of what's possible for human beings when adversity or when tremendous pain or trauma may try to convince us otherwise. Very inspiring and exciting to hear you speak of, of what you're creating in people. And uh, what we're learning every day. Now, you describe flexibility as being the core of resilience. Will you describe this relationship between flexibility and resilience?
1: Whenever something happens, we need to be able to perceive what's happening. That's unmindfulness, mindfulness. And to accept the reality of what's happening. William James, the founder of Modern American Psychology, said, accepting what has happened is the first step in overcoming the consequences Any misfortune. So we use our mindfulness to help us perceive accurately and accept accurately what has happened. But then the mindfulness also allows us to notice our reactions to what's happening, how we're responding whether we're in our automatic survival responses of fight, flight, freeze, or whether we're able to keep the functioning of the higher brain online a bit to notice our emotions, to notice our behaviors, to notice what we're thinking, to notice our choices. And so the response flexibility is really being able to shift our perspective, discern our options, make choices perhaps different than what we have done before. So when I talk in the book about the three processes of brain change, new conditioning, new experiences that will create new habits in the brain, new better ways of responding, that's the first way, but probably even more important for resilience is reconditioning, rewiring the old patterns we have, of responding to a difficult event that don't work so well anymore. And we need to not only learn new patterns, but rewire those old patterns. So that's done by juxtaposing something that's new and positive and strong with whatever the old negative emotion, thought, feeling, response was. And the neuroscientists can see in the scanners now that when we juxtapose a very strong positive that disconfirms the original negative, the neurons holding those memories together fall apart, and they rewire again a Uh fraction of a second later. Uh When the positive is stronger, it will rewire the negative. That's the basis of all trauma therapy. So I'm offering tools in the book for for readers to be able to use those tools and actually rewire the old patterns. And then the third process is deconditioning, which... I hope people will come to value more and more. It's using the mental play space of the brain, what we experience when we're in a daydream, a reverie, we're using our imagination, we're trusting our intuition, because the brain plays on its own all the time. It's always making associations and connecting the dots and coming up with new links. And sometimes when we can simply relax into that mental play space of the brain, we come up with insights and understandings out of the blue, oh, I never thought of that before, that can be very helpful to our resilience. So those are the three processes of brain change I'm teaching in the book, but all of the tools are organized to use those processes of brain change to cope with barely a wobble, you know, to the serious struggles and, and heartaches that can overwhelm our hearts to the trauma of too much, too many things happen all at once, and we can get overwhelmed at least temporarily and being able to recover our resilience then. So hopefully leaders can find their own experience somewhere in the book and see which tools are the most helpful to them.
0: I'm so impressed by your service of others with what you're creating and sharing. People are facing unprecedented amounts of change and volatility today, from rapid technological advancement to unsettling political events to wars, to racism and discrimination, to natural disasters, societal systemic abuses, to concerns about the degradation of our natural environment, acts of mass violence in our schools and businesses. What are some experiences you've had where you've helped someone recover their resilience and get to a point of confidence, of peace, and post-traumatic growth? I could
1: perhaps talk about an individual story, and with your permission, what I'm going to do is maybe just talk about five steps that anyone can goes through when they're facing a disaster or something truly traumatizing, Um, because all of these conditions that you just mentioned, and I wrote them down, I took notes, on the technology, the politics, the racism, the natural disasters, the environmental disasters, experiencing violence in the home or in our schools, all of those external stressors we need to be able to meet with the internal resource of resilience. So the steps that people go through to do that, the first one I already said of accepting reality, this is what's happening, not running away in denial, not distracting, but facing what's going on. Resourcing with other people, finding refuge and resources with other people Helen Keller said, all the world is full of suffering. It is also full of overcoming. So we ally ourselves and find comfort with people who are going through what we're going through or finding their own ways of being serviced in the face of a disaster. So resourcing with other people is essential. And the third thing, finding the positive, warm cup of coffee, playing with a puppy, the smile of a child. Having these moments of positive just give us a chance to breathe. And then finding the silver lining, finding the lessons learned, finding the gift and the mistake, as the neuroscience writer Jonah Lehrer says, turning a regrettable moment into a teachable moment. What can we learn here? Even in the face of large and global tragedy, what can we learn here? So finding the silver lining, and then being able to write what's called a coherent narrative of putting whatever is happening in the larger context, in the larger view. This is what happened before. This is what happened now. And here's how I'm going forward. And I just recently did a post on my own blog series about looking for the helpers, finding the helpers, which was Mr. Rogers' advice, you know, forty yes. fifty years ago. Yes. Whenever there's a disaster, look for the people who are helping because that's how we keep our hope going to know that we're in common humanity, people are trying to help out. So being able to put what's happening in that larger picture, that larger story, is also essential to moving through the trauma. And then the last one, which I know you have addressed in podcasts on your website, What did I learn? What's my new meaning or purpose? What's the new gift, the new opportunity, the new sense of community that would not have happened without this tragedy? In other words, what good came of this, not in spite of, but because of what happened? And that's really considered the the hallmark of post-traumatic growth is being able to find that new meaning, not in spite of, but because of. What happens? So, those are some of the steps that people will go through when they're dealing with any of those external stresses
0: that you were mentioning. Hmm. Amazing. What is your message for the skeptical listener who feels overwhelmed, embittered, and helpless in dealing with their personal adversity, who's been overwhelmed possibly by a series of traumatic events that have happened in rapid succession, um, and not being aware of what's possible with regard to resilience? A person who may have resorted to habitual thinking that channels thoughts toward hatred or an ever-simmering anger. Uh, What is your message to a person who's trapped in these destructive processes?
1: This is a huge question, Ben, as I'm sure you know. Yes. Um, Ironically, just at this very moment, I'm reading a book called The Choice, Embrace the Possible, by Dr. Edith Eager. Who survived Auschwitz as a teenager and, and in her memoir talks about moment after moment after moment after moment moment making a choice. She now works with combat veterans. She's 90 years old, still a practicing psychologist. She works with combat veterans who are lost in a way just as you described. Lost in the darkness, in the helplessness, in the paralysis, or in the anger, the wanting revenge. And the key is connecting somehow with the humanity, helping this person connect again with their own humanity, which is why very often equine therapy, working with horses can be effective, working with guide dogs can be effective. Connecting again with a sense of humanity and being alive and being engaged with other living beings. So I think the somatic work, I mean, I begin a lot of the exercises in the book with somatic intelligence the body-based tools of breath, touch, movement. We're not even thinking yet. We're just coming back into the body in a way that feels safe and comforting and touching the humanity, just a hand on the shoulder, a hand on the cheek. Um, That's how I would begin to work with someone who seems kind of lost, is me trying to find them hidden in that hollowness or that darkness and helping them find themselves
0: Again. I know that so many combat veterans and first responders who go to work every day and face lethal situations and moment to moment decisions where lives hang in the balance and intense public scrutiny and are dealing with enormous stressors and challenges. I hope that we have all heard what you have just said and that we can connect each and every one of us with that humane part of ourselves and continue to do it over and over and to develop, use your book to develop a practice where we're able to do that so that in each moment we are kinder, more humane and see the big picture as well as the small picture who are able to regain and recover our resilience and Uh, create a world that we all desire to live in where each life is valued I love the depth of your book I love how you take readers through so many important concepts and you offer us a profound ability to change our lives when it comes to one of the most essential experiences we have to deal with adversity I think even now the wildfires in California and and how many people are being challenged with so much adversity and and other natural disasters that are happening You even go into the roles that the five intelligences play in our resilience development. Why was it important for you to help strengthen your readers' somatic intelligence, emotional intelligence, relational intelligence within ourselves and others, and then reflective intelligence?
1: Well, we all have these intelligences and tools to strengthen them. I presented them in that order because that's how the brain works. So we're trying to create safety within the brain First, with the somatic intelligence, just being able to use breath-touch movement to recover our natural baseline physiological equilibrium. We all have a range of resilience. We want to be able to bring the functioning of the brain back into that physiological range of resilience. The emotional intelligence is important because we do get overwhelmed with these powerful surges of anger or fear or sadness or disgust. And to be able to be with and manage those feelings so that we're not running away from them, but we're not taking them out on other people either. And then, as I said, there really is a lot of power in cultivating positive emotions to shift the functioning of the brain so that we do that, not just to feel better, but so that we can do better. The relational intelligence within is this self-acceptance, self-appreciation, self-love. It is at the core being able to be resilient and to be able to serve other people. The relational intelligence with others is simply very often people become mistrustful and wary of reaching out to other people for help. And yet that's how we're wired as human beings to reach out to other people for help and to offer other people help. So recovering some of the skills that make it safe again to be connected with people. And then the reflective intelligence of course is the mindfulness being aware of what we're experiencing while we're experiencing it, especially being aware of our reactions to what we're experiencing so we can manage those and choose better, and discerning our options so that we can take a different path, we can be more effective in whatever we choose to do. So I'm trying to build those tools just as the brain does, little and often, small practices repeated many times, but eventually developing a kind of resilience that can face The major stressors and disasters that you've been talking about so consistently and so eloquently, there's a lot of really difficult stuff to deal with in the world right now. And we need to develop our practices to be able to do that. If I can just say one thing here, we're we're familiar now with the shootings at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and probably people know the story of the emergency room staff that treated the person who did the shooting out of their tradition of compassion and love and service. And it was a remarkable moment in human history when someone can be shouting death to the Jews as they enter the emergency room and they are treated with kindness and compassion by the Jewish staff of the hospital. I think it's an amazing icon of resilience of how we respond to tragedy and hatred from those deeper reserves of love and compassion that we may have spent a lifetime cultivating, and they're ready to call on in the moment that they're needed.
0: It gives me me chills to even hear of that, and truly the most, the highest in self-restraint and discipline and kindness and compassion happened in that room. And Mm -hmm. uh, I cannot say enough about uh, that amazing staff. Linda, it's been an absolute honor to speak with you here today. I always end the show with six questions to help my listeners understand the why within my phenomenal guests. Will you be willing to run through these questions with me? Sure, sure, of course. All right. Who are you thankful for today?
1: I am thankful for so many friends who see me and believe in me.
0: And now that we've discussed who you're thankful for today, what are you thankful for today?
1: Always, 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 I'm alive. There have been occasions where the car almost went off the road or I almost drowned or something could have happened and I didn't. I was alive. And so the prayer every moment is, I'm alive. Whatever happens next, I'm here to deal with it. Hmm. I'm alive.
0: How do you fuel the fire within you?
1: Uh, As many of the people that I've talked with about resilience... Nature, spending time in the awesome beauty of nature, a reality that is much larger than me, much larger than whatever problems I'm dealing with at the moment, and being fueled by the mystery, the majesty, the miracle of existence, and just walking through nature, sometimes with a friend, with a moment of gratitude that life exists at all.
0: What's one thing that adversity you've experienced has taught you to value? Uh, <laughs> Recently, and I
1: tell the story in the book of where I, dumped, I was dumped into the ocean with my computer on my back, so the computer was gone, and I thought about the wildfires going on. You know, it's just my data. It's not my life or my home. But what happened out of that incident was me learning that the practices of resilience do strengthen, and they do show up. And I could spend the next four days teaching where I was teaching, noticing the gratitude show up, the compassion show up, the planning and making my to-do list, but also letting people support me. I I had a laboratory where I could watch resilience show up. And that was a great learning for me, that when we do these tools, they will show up when we need them.
0: Hmm. What are you doing today you never thought you could?
1: letting go Hmm. of a lot of old furniture and old papers important in my life at one time needing to be passed on to other people who can use them now they're all out in my driveway waiting to be picked up The letting go is clearing space for something new to develop i don't know what yet but for something new to develop Hmm.
0: and what will you do tomorrow that you never thought you could
1: I'm going to make sure actually I do think I can do this but sometimes we just get too busy to bother tomorrow I actually am going to send out messages to all the people that I'm grateful for because Thanksgiving is coming up here um, and saying why I'm grateful to each of them individually taking the time to do that because other people do sustain me as I try to sustain them and taking time to notice that acknowledge that put that out into the universe. We all depend on each other for our resilience, our well-being, and our thriving. And just taking a moment to acknowledge that.
0: That is a beautiful thing. It has been such an honor and a pleasure to speak with you. How can people learn more about you and your work?
1: I have a website, lindagraham-mft.net. It has many, many audio recordings of the exercises interviews with other experts on resilience, the archives of all the newsletters and the weekly resources for recovering resilience its um, really a a treasure trove of resources and it's all free, it's all easily downloadable, so there's a lot that people can find on
0: that website. Thank you, Linda, so much for joining me on the Get Up Nation podcast and helping Get Up Nation to be resilient, overcome our adversity, and confidently face a troubling world. Thank you so much, Linda.
1: Thank you Ben for having me. It's been a joy.
0: How powerful it is to develop an awareness of what we're capable of, the power that is within, even in the face of the most traumatic and troubling adversity we can experience. If adversity and its effects are impeding you from being the best of who you are, it's time to recover your resilience. Let Linda be your trusted guide by purchasing a copy of her book, Resilience, or hiring her to help develop resilience in your organization. This moment is an opportunity for you to reconnect with yourself and those you care about, regardless of what you've been through. This is GetUp Nation. This is where we help you transition from post-traumatic stress to post-traumatic growth with the finest experts and the finest examples you can find. Subscribe to become part of this powerful movement that fearlessly faces adversity and its challenges, supports each other along the way, and helps us all overcome.